Hello, and welcome to We Will Remember Freedom, a monthly podcast of anarchist fiction. Well, normally it's a monthly podcast of anarchist fiction. At the moment, it's also a weekly podcast of my own fiction. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. For the next couple weeks, at least, I'm going to be sticking some of my own stories in between the other stories that I've already acquired for the podcast, and I'll be reading them myself. This week's story isn't actually very political, it's more of a ghost story. I hope you enjoy it. Mary Marrow Mary Marrow lives in a casket about eight miles up Deer Run Creek. Grown-ups tell you she's dead because she doesn't move and she doesn't breathe, but they know that's not true. They just don't want you to be scared. If she was dead, then why doesn't she rot? She's not dead. I saw her drown, but she's not dead. Grown-ups don't want you afraid of her, but the truth is, you should be afraid of her. You should stay clear of her body, sure enough, but you should also never drink from Deer Run when it runs red. And you should never eat the red berries that grow along the bank. And you should never make anyone in town here cross. You never know which of us do her bidding. I used to do her bidding. I was once young like you are. Most old women tell you that not for your sake, but for their own sake. They're reminding themselves that, as impossible as it seems, they used to be young. I'm telling you, for your sake. I don't want to remember being young. When I was maybe 14, I was beautiful. And that, I'm telling you, for my own sake. All the boys and some of the girls knew it, and sometimes I'd let them bring me favors. A loaf of bread, a jar of jam, a pretty rock, a pilfered bracelet, things of that nature. Mary Marrow, she was just Mary Ogden then, she brought me berries. Those red berries, the ones that grow on the bank that feed crows and squirrels. Don't eat them, she said after the first time she offered me a handful, or you'll fall in love with me. She ate one herself, and she smiled, and the purple juice stained her lips as sure as lipstick. I will not fall in love with you, Mary Ogden, I told her. I ate two of the berries. They're sour, but still good, like beer or old love. Now you're going to fall for me, she said, laughing. I didn't believe her, though, because I had my eyes on another girl, on Laura Haroldson. Laura only liked boys sometimes the same boys I liked, and I didn't know yet better than to fall for a girl who only liked boys. Two years came and went fast as rain. I left school at 16 to work in the factory. Another two years went by like a passing storm. The summer I turned 18, Laura Haroldson moved away to the city for school. Those bright, long days of summer, I was as sad as the depths of snow. That summer, Mary Ogden became an orphan. Her parents were found hanging, apparently suicide. No one thinks that now, but it's what we thought then. Mary said Ogden was a family name, and she didn't have a family. She didn't want a family. So she changed her name to Mary Marrow. We didn't see her much. She was off in the woods more days and nights than not, skipping shifts at the factory as often as not. The Ogden's house fell into the sorry state you know it to be today. The lawn grew up as high as the fence. Brambles tore the pickets asunder. 
and a murder of crows took up residence in the apple tree. That house is safe, by the way. Some tame things look terrifying. You can even eat the apples, though an untended tree doesn't make for good fruit. People whispered words like magic and witchcraft when Mary wasn't around. By the time I was 18, people began to whisper those words when she was around. Soon thereafter, people stopped bothering to keep their voices at a whisper. I barely noticed any of this. I barely thought about the young Ms. Marrow. A few times more, she'd brought me presents, but she knew she was not high on my list of suitors and never tried hard to woo me. I determined not to wed anyone. I let many of those suitors go home happy, and they left me happy. But I didn't want to marry anyone. I had a reputation, of course, but I didn't care. No one who matters cares about that sort of thing. Still, I pined for Laura. I took to walking in the woods that summer, after every early morning shift. I learned most of its paths and glades and ruins on this or that tryst, and I started going further and farther afield. I never got lost because at the end of every day, when the sun dipped low enough to touch the peak of Greyhill Mountain, I walked east or west as needed to find Deer Run Creek and followed it home. I was walking home on the day of the equinox, with plenty far to go and little hope of reaching town before dark, when I saw a red glow on the water ahead of me. There was a man, if you could call him that, as thin as a needle, as thin as a lie, and where his nude skin touched the water, the water glowed red. His hair was long and feminine, but I could see nothing of his face at that distance. Like a Baptist, or a husband carrying his bride across the threshold, he held Mary Marrow in all her Sunday clothes. She looked at me and she grinned a wild grin, and the man, the devil or angel or some beast in between, put Mary Marrow beneath the cold water and drowned her. I stood still on the bank twenty yards upstream and watched. I should have run to her, I know that. I carried a large enough knife when I walked those woods. I should have put it between that creature's ribs. I didn't. I stood as still as a deer in the moonlight as still as a rock in the water. I'm not sure I took a single breath all the time Mary's lungs filled with water. The man lifted her up and carried her to the shore. He set her body in an open casket, then walked into the woods and disappeared. I've never seen him again. I ran to her. Her lips were stained purple with the blood of those berries just like her lips are still if you walk those eight miles upstream to see her, which you should not. She wasn't breathing. Her eyes were open and hazel and shining bright enough to retain their color even as the color fled the rest of everything with the coming of night. I laid down at the foot of her casket, right down on my back on the rocks. I couldn't tell you why I did it. I wasn't in my right head. As the last of the light left the world, I fell asleep. I woke up with the moon above me. I couldn't move. I couldn't speak. Mary Marrow climbed out of her casket and stood over me, watching me. She smiled, a soft smile, a beautiful smile. I never noticed how beautiful she was. You have come to love me, she said. It wasn't a question. As she watched me unwavering, I slowly, fearfully, fell back to sleep. 
In the morning, she was once more lying in that pine box. I had not dreamt her drowning, but I had certainly dreamt her rising to speak. I was also certain, however, that I loved her. Not one day in the fifty years that have passed from then to now have I lingered on thoughts of Laura Haroldson. The candle I'd held for her was blown out by a vile wind, a witch wind. I went home, changed for work, and didn't go back upstream for some time after that. I didn't tell anyone what I'd seen either, and no one reported Mary missing because no one missed her. More shifts for the rest of us. I kept up my habits, though I took my suitors downstream instead of up. Then, with the last echoes of summer fading out, so did my fancy for casual affairs. After my shifts in the factory, I took to staying inside with books. On Samhain, I worked a double and only got out after the land was lit by a waning crescent of a moon. I was restless. I didn't even change out of my work clothes. I just walked up Deer Run a few hours to see my love. She wasn't alone. Three others lay on rocks, each asleep on their backs. One was a drifter I'd seen in town. Another was a child, a stranger. The third? The third was Laura Haroldson. To this day, I don't know if Mary had ensorcelled her so that I could see her again, to take vengeance on me for having once loved another, or by happenstance. I found space between the tramp and the woman who had once been my heart's desire, and I slept. Once more, I woke to starlight and paralysis and to Mary Marrow standing over me, watching me. There are sixteen men on the old road tomorrow, she said. They will come alone or in groups of two and three. I want seven of them here and alive, eight of them dead, and one to believe he has escaped our wrath. I fell back asleep. I woke with the sun on my face. I was late for work, but I didn't care. I didn't go to work. With my new fellows, I made my way to the old road, which is what we used to call the hiking trail that runs from the town to the peak of Grey Hill and out to the mountains beyond. It was popular with tourists. It's still there, though the paving stones have sunk deep into the earth and few dare to walk it. We found a place where the trees crowded in close and we waited. We killed eight men on the path with rocks and knives, bashing and breaking and carving and carving and carving. We captured seven men who kicked and bit and screamed. We let one man escape. The seven we led back to Mary. We tied them to trees, each so he faced the creek, each so that he could watch. We drowned the men, one after the other. Myself and Laura held each one under water while they thrashed like fish. We never cut them, but the river glowed red around our skin as their sorrows and their joys and their dreams and their memories died. Some of that red drifted downstream. The next day, the berries along the bank were ripe and red and beautiful. We ate them joyous. I'd never been so content and calm, surrounded by my new family, sitting at the feet of our love, Mary. I did the witch's dark work for a decade. Followers came and went. Laura was with us a year only before she returned to her studies, released from service. 
Others, like the drifter and the child, eventually died at the hands of those we destroyed. Myself, I drowned men, and I cut men, and I ate the flesh of men. I set fire to barns, and I set fire to fields, and I set fire to houses full of people. I also led the chosen to meet their new master. I'd never known love like the love of Mary Marrow. Every meal I ate was richer. Every dream I had more beautiful. Every woman and man I knew more passionate while I served her. A decade was a long time to me back then, and I wanted more from life. I prayed to Mary, like I'd never prayed to Christ, to release me. She did. For another ten years, I wandered these hills, living off of ramps and rabbits. I was afraid of being found for my crimes, and more than that, I was afraid of seeing the woman I had loved with her purple lips, her hazel eyes, unbreathing. I was afraid of the power she held over me. I was afraid of that thing that may or may not have been love. So I just wandered. A decade was still a long time to me back then, and I came home. The factory is always hiring. The factory doesn't care to know where you've been and what you've done. I don't do her work not anymore. Now I tell children like you to stay away, to not be curious, to live simple lives, to work at the factory, to let magic be feared. You must not stain your lips by eating berries, and you must never drink the water when it runs red. I tell children like you to absolutely, whatever you do, not go eight miles upstream and visit Mary Marrow where she rests on the east bank of the river, to not sleep at the foot of her casket and let her into your dreams and into your hearts. Never join her loving family. You must never do that. Thanks for listening. I wrote that story a couple years ago when I was in kind of a dark place, and it's only been published to my Patreon followers before this. I put out a zine every month to anyone who sponsors me on Patreon. It's usually short stories, sometimes it's essays, sometimes it's memoir. This story, like a lot of my stories, kind of came to me through sleep paralysis, and I've had a lot of really interesting encounters while technically awake and paralyzed and hallucinating, because that is a strange curse that me and so many people in this world bear, is sleep paralysis. And so I try to do the best I can with it, and usually that means turning it into stories. If you want to sponsor me on Patreon, please do. It helps me make this podcast and my other podcasts and all the other projects that I do. It's my primary income. I totally understand, though, if money is tight right now, you know, and anyone who lives off of less money than I make on my Patreon is more than welcome to contact me and get access to all my stuff for free. And honestly, if you already follow me on Patreon and you need to unsubscribe because of what's going on, I completely understand. But if you're doing financially stable, please consider uh, supporting people around you, including possibly myself, if you like this podcast. And if you like this podcast, you can also tell people about it. It's the main way I learn about my podcasts. Share it on social media, tell your friends, subscribe, all that stuff. 
and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.